You're listening to the MVP Real Estate and Mortgage Report. The views and opinions shared on this program don't necessarily reflect those of Citywide Home Loans. Citywide Home Loans, LLC, NMLS 67180. David Hosterman, NMLS 220562. Jonathan Edwards, NMLS 671258. Equal housing lender. Regulated by the Division of Real Estate. Call for additional cost information. Program qualifications and offerings are subject to change at any time. Not all that apply will qualify. Other restrictions may apply. Good morning and welcome to the MVP Real Estate and Mortgage Report. I'm Jonathan Edwards with Citywide Home Loans in the studio this morning. We have our MVP guest, Rick Culp with Brokers Guild Real Estate. This is the show that brings you today's most relevant real estate insights and experiences from the industry's most dedicated players. Rick, thanks so much for joining me on the show again. Thanks for having me, John. Looking forward to today's show, Rick. Today, we're going to break down the residential purchase contract, which to some people may not sound that exciting, but we're going to make it exciting today. And Rick is one of the best, in my opinion, not only real estate agents out there, one of the most knowledgeable agents and an incredible instructor. Rick actually teaches real estate agents on a regular basis. He teaches the contracts course, teaches the annual commission update course. So lucky to have Rick in the studio with me today. Thanks so much, Rick. Stay tuned for a triple play of Denver's hottest listings. And a quick yellow card disclaimer that Citywide Home Loans and Brokers Guild Real Estate are not affiliated entities. Listeners are not required to use either participant to work with the other participant. Rick, thanks again for joining me on the show today. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I moved to Colorado about 36 years ago. I've been in real estate for 30. And as you mentioned, the last four and a half, five years, I've been at Brokers Guild working as a mentor and a trainer you know i'm the director of the training at our at our company and so that's what i kind of enjoy doing is uh, teaching classes and working with new agents and you've been teaching over there at brokers guild for a few years now uh you've been in the industry as you said for for years now 20 30 years years. and um and you've you've been fortunate to work on a lot of transactions during that time, uh, which gives you the knowledge, I think, to, to move naturally into that instructor position. You've done a great job over there for Brokers Guild. I know you and I are kind of working together on classes and have been for a few years. So um, definitely a good fit for you, I think, over there. Appreciate that. All right, Rick, let's dive in a little bit and talk about, well, before we talk about the residential purchase contract, I always like to ask my guests a little bit about what you're seeing on the ground floor when it comes to real estate right now. You're sort of our boots on the ground, and I know you work with a lot of newer agents as well. Uh, What are you seeing out there in the real estate world? Basically, what I I am seeing and what I, I think the trend for 2024 will be kind of it's going to be similar to 2023 uh might be a little bit better as the feds have dropped rates recently and have announced um some planned decreases going forward into the new year uh that will probably help our uh, industry a little bit but based on some webinars and uh, videos that i've watched from some industry leaders they're anticipating our prices will tick up a point and a half maybe two points this year um, uh, about 20% of P of homeowners have an interest rate of 5% or more. 
people that have an interest rate of 5% or more are more likely to sell because it's closer to the market, mm-hmm. whereas people with a lower rate are going to sit tight. Yep. So we have about 20% of our homeowners with that 5% or higher rate. So that's a pool of homeowners that could possibly look to sell this year. So I think it'll be a decent market. I don't think we're looking for any major swings up or down. So back in October, interest rates, at least the 30-year fixed rate, uh, national average on a conventional loan was right up in the mid-eights. Back in October, we were as low as like the mid-sixes recently and now a little bit higher, probably in the high sixes right now. Um, I think that the lower interest rates will help to get people a little bit excited as the spring selling season comes along. The last couple of months have been pretty slow, but that's common this time of year. Any thoughts on, you know, what the spring might hold for us this year relative to what we've seen in the past? Well, if we see the if we see the feds um, drop, if we see the feds drop those rates at least a quarter point this first quarter and there's continued talk that they're going to probably drop more. I think that consumers will be a little bit more enthusiastic about jumping into the market. Um, And, you know, when I got into the market, like I said, many, many years ago, I used to see June, July, August as busy, busy. In more recent years, springtime seems to be the busier market, March, April, May. People seem to really get busy. uh, So I think, um, as I said, I think it'll be a fairly normal market. Uh, But, yeah, I think it's an an excellent opportunity for buyers to jump in because as these rates drop, we probably will start seeing bidding on the lower lower priced inventory like we had a couple of years ago. So you're thinking the market's going to hinge pretty heavily on interest rates. I think it's going to have a people lot. aren't getting used to six percent yet. They want to see them in the, back into the fives. I think if rates drop down into the fives, we'd really see the market. Take I off. think you're right. I think people do want to see rates drop into the fives. I don't know necessarily that it's going to happen, but I think that if it if rates don't drop into the fives, but they do remain in the sixes, I think people are going to start to get the feel for, okay, this is kind of where we're at now. Uh, we're still fighting inflation. We've got things to do. But interest rates in the fives, I think you're right, would jumpstart the uh, real estate market a little bit. All right, Rick. So let's start talking about that residential real estate contract. Let's start right at the top. What are, When you're teaching your contracts class, what are you teaching your agents, your students in that class right from the get-go at the top of the contract? Well, obviously, get the right names of the buyers on the contract. So you say obviously, but it doesn't always happen that way, does no, it? No, and a good example would be John A. Smith is the buyer, but and so, or at least that's what he tells his agent, but when he did his loan application with you, it was John Allen Smith. And yep. your lender letter says John Allen Smith. So the yep. contract has to reflect how the loan application was taken. So it's important that we get the buyer's um, uh, names correct, how they're taking uh, title. Now, in Colorado, you have an option between joint tenancy and tenants in common. Joint tenancy means if it's a couple, spouse, significant other, whatever, typically that's the right of survivorship. Tenants in common means that if one party passes the other part, uh, the their their half of the property is passed on to their heirs. So get the name correct. Get the address correct. How many times have we seen Rick a contract that comes over and it says street instead of road or drive instead of lane or unit 
34 dash HD, but it's 35 dash HD. You know what I mean? And it's a problem. And, or De- or uh, Westminster versus Broomfield, those kinds of things. So if you if you're out there and you're going to be purchasing a home, you're not necessarily an agent. Make sure you know the correct address for the property. Make sure that you also know how you want your name to appear on all the documents. And in the back of your mind, and when I'm at a closing table, this always comes to fruition. If you choose to spell out your entire name, first, middle, last name, keep in mind, you are going to have to sign that way on all the documents, the loan documents, the title documents, the real estate documents. So you're going to have to sign with your middle name. If you're not used to doing that, I can tell you right now, it's going to it's gonna make for a longer process at the closing table. So keep that in mind. Rick, one of the uh, the next sections on that purchase contract is inclusions and exclusions. We could probably talk about this for an entire show, but in general, break down what are inclusions, what are exclusions, and how important is that in the contract? So when the seller lists the property for sale with their listing broker, that broker and our multiple listing service will disclose per that listing agreement what those inclusions are. And, you know, they're typically kitchen appliances, maybe a washer-dryer, freezer in the basement, or something to that effect. Um, Sometimes there are things that are different, like maybe there's some equipment, a riding lawnmower, a snowblower, which would be usually conveyed by a separate bill of sale. And exclusions are anything that the seller would want to take with them, usually their personal property, and perhaps there's some an appliance or something that they would want to take as well. Inclusion and exclusions are, should listing agents include those in the MLS listing sheet? They are are included there as well. Okay. And then they should also include them in the contract when they get that contract and it comes over. Absolutely. All right. That makes sense. Uh, What about mineral rights? I think here in Colorado, uh, mineral rights is, Something that's talked about fairly often. I know water rights are something that people seek pretty heavily. Uh, How often are you coming across mineral rights or even water rights? Mineral rights are pretty rare. There are some counties like Weld County, which is up close to Greeley in that area, where mineral rights come into play. Typically, mineral rights are always conveyed with the property unless previously severed. Water rights are never conveyed with the property unless previously agreed upon. So those are kind of the differences. What about dates and deadlines on the contract? Does that matter at all? Dates and deadlines are critical. Um, You know, when we had the the market a few years ago where people were bidding, they were waiving contingencies. A contingency would be an opportunity to have an appraisal done, an opportunity to have an inspection done. And I would never recommend to buyers to waive those contingencies. They're very, very important. And so um, we've got inspections, we've got appraisals, there's survey deadlines that come with the property. If there are HOA documents, governing documents, covenants, the buyers have the right to review those. And all of those items will allow the buyer to terminate and get their earnest money back if they're not acceptable to the buyer. Seller concessions. So this is something that we see more of now. A few years ago when we were in that crazy market uh, where there was multiple bids and bidding wars and all of that, we saw some seller concessions, but not too much. Now we're seeing seller concessions more often. Let's put it that way. And we're actually running numbers maximizing those seller concessions. So for instance, on a conventional loan, depending on how much the borrower is putting down, 
On a conventional loan, you can do up to 9% in seller concessions. That's a huge, staggering number. Uh, We're not running numbers quite that high, but on FHA, you can max out at 6%. So we are running numbers uh, for buyers to submit with their offers for seller concessions in the neighborhood of four, five, six, seven percent, um, which is twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. And buyers are using those funds to buy down their interest rates because interest rates are higher right now than they were a few years ago. Historically, they're actually not that bad. They're a little bit lower, lower than the fifty-year average. But they're a little bit higher than a lot of people would like them to be. You can use those seller concessions from the sellers to buy down that interest rate. And there's two types of buy downs that we're seeing. We're seeing temporary buy downs where you buy down for a specific period of time. The most common being the 2-1 buy down in year one. The interest rate is 2% less than their 30-year rate. In year two, it's 1% less. And then years three through 30, they've got that 30-year rate. Or just a permanent buy-down, taking that $30,000 and applying it to the discount to buy down that interest rate as much as they possibly can. So certainly seeing more in the way of seller concessions. It looks like that's probably going to continue for the near future, don't you think? Um, Once again, as we talked about interest rates, um, until rates drop a little bit lower, we're going to um, have buyers requesting concessions from the seller as you discussed to buy that rate down. So I think that trend will continue. Earnest money, Rick, uh, just briefly, what's earnest money? People don't always understand what that is or how it works. Earnest money is considered something of value that you're putting up to let the seller know that you're interested and serious about purchasing the property. And people say, well, how much is there any kind of a guideline? And what we typically see in the industry is typically a minimum of 1% of the purchase price. Okay. Sometimes a little more. And that is held by the title company that will perform the closing on the transaction in an escrow, a trust escrow account. So that money is protected. doesn't belong. It does. The seller doesn't touch it. It's protected by the title company and it's still the buyer's money. And it is given to them as a credit at closing. Yep, so it reduces their ultimate cash that they need at closing. Or if the buyers breach their contract in some way, shape, or form, then that f- those funds do go to the sellers. Right. Yep. All right, inspection process. Uh, how important is an inspection on a house? Uh, extremely important. Um, there's usually three inspections. You have the physical inspection of the property, and then most people nowadays do radon tests, and it's in the contract. That's... Um, uh, a, an important test to have. And then we do what's called a sewer scope where um, a contractor will run a camera through the sewer line all the way out to the main part of the uh, sewer, which is usually in the street or to the back of the property to determine that there's no damage to the sewer. Inspections in the 12 years that I've been doing this, I've seen very few transactions that did not include an inspection. FHA recommends it. HUD recommends it. Um, pretty much any entity will recommend that you have an inspection done on the property. And Rick, that extends to even if you're renting a house and you're buying the house that you rent, it's still highly recommended that you have an inspection done on that property. You just simply don't know everything that's going on unless you're an inspector yourself. Uh, The other one that people sort of like, why would I need an inspection would be on a new build home, right? Do you, what, do you th- what are your thoughts on inspections on a new build home? I think it's a good idea. A couple of reasons. Um, I've had an inspector that came to some of my classes, and we saw a circumstance where the builder 
had poured the foundation, and as the backhoe was backfilling the dirt up against the foundation, it cracked the foundation. Mm-hmm. Never would have known that. Another instance where he did a sewer scope on brand new sewer lines that the builder had just installed, and they had rocks from the construction site in the in the in the in the, in the interesting. Sewer. So yes. Huh. It uh, probably is a good idea to have an uh, inspection done, even if it's new construction. Well, and I'll tell you, Rick, that a few years ago when the building was going, it was crazy, 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 and they there was uh, supply shortages and stuff like that. I know that some of these builders were getting supplies wherever they could find them, and we have heard some real horror stories on new builds that were purchased in the last two, three, four years. So if you're thinking about a new build, we do recommend getting an inspection. I think there's no harm in doing that. And for 450 500 600 bucks, whatever it is, definitely worth it. Uh, appraisal process. Appraisal is going to have to be done most of the time. So depending on uh, the borrower situation, how much they're putting down, credit scores, uh, there are what we call appraisal waivers through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. But most of the transactions that we work on are going to require an appraisal, and that comes pretty soon after that inspection, right? It does. You obviously want the inspection to come first. Uh, an appraisal is, what, seven, $800 nowadays. Why would a buyer want to pay for an appraisal if they can't resolve their inspection? So the inspection would come first. Appraisal would come in, you know, shortly thereafter. Typically in contracts on a 30-day closing, we'll see the uh, appraisal deadlines um, 16, 17, 18 days out. Yeah, that sounds about right. But definitely going to need an appraisal in most situations. It really, I think at the end of the day, you probably want to have an appraisal unless you're way paying way over the asking price anyway. And you're like, well, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me because I'm going to pay it over the asking price. An appraisal is something you probably want to have. Make sure that you know that what you're paying is within reason for the property. And who pays for all this stuff, Rick? Well, um, in the home buying process if you're the buyer you will pay for the inspection and you will pay for the appraisal now remember the listing broker that lists the house will charge um, the seller a fee and the seller will pay that fee which compensates both the listing and and buyer's agent side of the transaction the buyer's in charge of inspection and appraisal fees. And in the contract, there are there are places to note who's paying for what, right? That's correct. So make sure that those boxes are checked as well. You are listening to the MVP Real Estate and Mortgage Report on ESPN Denver 1600 AM. Check out past episodes on our podcast at denversports.com. For mortgage questions and information, give us a call at 303 921 Five seven four seven, and if you'd like to get in touch with Rick Call to talk about buying or selling your next home, give Rick a call at three zero three nine nine five four seven eight eight. Rick, it's one of my favorite parts of the show. Going to talk about some of the hottest listings out there in the Denver metro area, actually all around Colorado. I think we've got one in Colorado Springs today, a really cool property. Uh, first, we've got Amber Amber and Kim Wormerskirchen. And they've got a great property at 3440 Quay Street in Wheat Ridge, currently on the market at 590,000 single family residents with just over 1,000 square feet, uh, two bedroom, one bath, beautiful, beautiful home. Uh, right near 32nd and Lowell, the heart of the Highlands neighborhood. Inside kitchen and bathroom got a facelift just a couple of years ago with soapstone counters. 
what else? This lot and home is ready for an expansion as well, and the seller has had soil samples and a lot survey and leveled the lot. So a lot of potential here on this one as well. If you'd like some more information on this great property, reach out to Amber Wormer Skirchen at 720-560-9772. And Ryan Shaw with Brokers Guild Real Estate has a great property. It's a condo at 350 South Clinton Street, Unit 1C in Denver. This one's on the market at 260000 with uh, just about 945 square feet. It's a two-bedroom, one-bath. Again, it's a condo. This is in a retirement community, so 55 and older, uh, right by a private golf course. Really a beautiful property with all kinds of amenities. If you'd like some more information on this property, including all its amenities, reach out to Ryan Shaw at 303-829-8438. And finally, the great Andrea Maurice at Brokers Guild has actually two listings we're going to talk about today. First one at 1845 Cupright Court down in Castle Rock. A great location in between Denver and Colorado Springs. This one's listed at 899900 Single family residence with just over 5,500 square feet. Five bedrooms, four bathrooms, absolutely beautiful home. If you'd like some more information on this property, reach out to Andrea Maurice at 303-870-2689. Andrea also has a great property uh, down in Pueblo on, I believe, 44 acres. It's a really cool property at 7791 South Lane. Again, in Pueblo, it's 675,000, uh, 30, just over 3,100 square feet, three bedroom, three bathroom, absolutely beautiful property. If you'd like some more information on this property, you're looking for something with some great acreage, give Andrea a call at 303-870-2689. All right, Rick, we'll get back to it, talk about the contract a little bit more here. Um what about homeowners associations? We just had Ryan Shaw, who we just talked about, has this great condo. Uh, homeowners association, they go hand in hand with condos, don't they? they and do. sometimes, most of the time, townhomes as well, but definitely on condos. Condos and, and most of the time, townhomes. There are homeowners associations, and I have a lot of um, potential clients and agents say, well, aren't the homeowners association dues awfully high? But remember, in most cases, the Homeowners Association covers uh, common area maintenance. It covers the exterior maintenance, which means paint, the roof, so forth. It covers water, trash, sewer, and snow removal. So when you factor all of those in and you figure out what the cost of those would be on a single-family home, there's probably not that much difference. Yeah. So I would not let the HOA uh, discourage me from purchasing a condo or a townhome. Okay. Uh, some exceptions to that rule might be special assessments that may be on their way. Um, maybe they've had poor management of the HOA in the past. We've seen that a little bit. But I think you're right. For the most part, as long as you've got a well-managed HOA and, uh, and nothing to worry about, then don't let that discourage you. I would agree with that. Title insurance. How's that work on a purchase? So title insurance, most of our closings are held at a title company. And the title company will issue a title insurance policy. And what that does is that guarantees the homeowner a clear and free title, which means clear and free of all liens and encumbrances. So you cannot pass title from one party to the other without all liens and encumbrances being removed. Makes sense. 
What about personal property? So every once in a while, this will come up, right, Rex? Uh, there's a pool table in the house, and the sellers want to leave it there, or you know, they don't want to take it with them, or a playset, or a hot tub, or you know, any number of things. You mentioned a snowblower earlier. These kinds of things that are they're not necessarily attached to the house. You wouldn't necessarily consider them something that would come with the house. How do you address these items? Uh, the way you address those items is the seller and buyer come together on an agreement. If there's any monetary compensation for those items, we've got a form that you would fill out, and then you create a bill of sale, separate bill of sale. You have one bill of sale for the items, kitchen appliances, and so forth in the home. These separate items are uh, conveyed through a separate bill of sale. Very common, too, if you guys are investors, you've got Airbnb property, you went up to Summit County, you wanted to buy a condo that's fully furnished, has all the pots, pans, dishes, so forth. Lenders do not want to see those items on a contract because that is personal property, not real property. So those types of items would be conveyed on a separate bill of sale. That makes sense. What about surveys and ILCs? Do you see those very often? Do those come up much? We don't see ILCs in the town, typically on a lot block legal description. We don't see it, although I would recommend that they be done. If you're buying a piece of land, uh, whether it be vacant land or a home sitting on acreage, definitely would recommend that you get a survey. And on that purchase contract, you've got your closing date, but you also have your possession date. Talk a little bit, Rick, about if the possession date is not the same as the closing date, how does that typically work? If the possession date, even if it's just one day, two days, two weeks, we have a document called a post-occupancy agreement, which basically is a short-term rental agreement. It's good for 60 days, and it addresses um, that homeowner's insurance should continue to remain with the property from the previous owners, who's going to pay for the Uh, gas and electric, who's going to pay for the water, and is there any rent and deposit required for that post-occupancy term? I like that they have that. That makes sense, right? I mean, yeah, you're still living in your house, but it isn't your house anymore. You know what I mean? And so you need to treat it it, to be sort of treated as a rental situation, right? That makes sense. All right, Rick, we are on ESPN Denver after all. Let's talk sports for we've got about a minute here. Let's talk sports. Let's do a minute rundown. What do you think on the Broncos for next year? I think the Broncos will continue to improve. It's been interesting. I've been listening to some of the sports shows. What kind of a grade would you give Sean Payton for his first year in the league? And I'm hearing mostly a C from a lot of the sports. Okay. Town. They felt like that there, Seems is, fair. There, there is a new culture in the Broncos, more serious culture geared towards um, doing things uh, the right way. However, there were some disappointing losses. You know, the first two games were tough. We lose by one and two points our first two home games. But we had a nice winning streak in the middle of the season, kind of ended the season up on a disappointing note. But definitely an improvement and going forward, um, there's a quarterback situation, obviously, that's um, that's out there. (laughs) There is a little bit of a quarterback situation. That seems to be the case with half the teams in the league, I think, right now. Uh, Rockies ought to be getting going here pretty soon, in a couple of months. Uh, That's always exciting, opening day for the Rockies. 
Uh, what about the Nuggets? How are you feeling about the Nuggets this I, year? I, I'm feeling good. I watched the Nuggets play the Celtics the other night. They snapped the Celtics' 27-game home winning streak. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, um, the Nuggets are really in a good spot. If they stay healthy, they've got a really good chance of doing back-to-back championships. They're basically in a three-way tie uh, for the best record in the West. They could easily end up a number one seed, if not number one, number two. Um, so I think the Nuggets are in a great spot right now to to advance through the playoffs like they did last year as long as they stay healthy. And hopefully the Avs can make it happen again this year as well. That was pretty exciting when they had won a couple of years ago. The Avs are, once again, they are tied, I think, right now for the first spot in the in the West. They're really strong again this year. Uh, McKinnon is being talked about as a Hart Trophy winner. Uh, really, really solid season going for the Avs. Rick, thanks so much for joining me on the show again. I appreciate it. If you'd like to get in touch with Rick Culp to talk about buying or selling your next home, he can be reached at 303-995-4788. Thank you for tuning in to the MVP Real Estate and Mortgage Report. If you have a question about financing for your next home or refinancing on a current mortgage, give us a call at 303-921-5747. Don't miss next week's show right here on ESPN Denver 1600. Every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., you can find past episodes on our podcast at denversports.com.